I think before I get started, I just want to I just want to have a word about testimonies in general. Uh, we live in this unique era of people talking about my truth, their truth, her truth, zer truth, whatever. Um, the 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 thing about testimonies is it can play into that in some way. And so what I want you guys to realize is like this these aren't my truths. These are truths that God taught me uh, through my life and in, in the story that I get to share tonight. So thanks for, for listening. I'll try to keep it relatively brief, which you guys know means nothing. <laughs> okay. So uh, I, the way I decided to break this up is actually like some of, I think probably the four major life lessons I've come across. Um, just, I'm going to just throw them out at first. Uh, first one is the power of community and confession. The second one is going to be uh, a gospel-centered understanding of the whole Bible is critical to the life of faith. The third thing God has taught me, um, and these all happen in different stages to, to his credit, uh, the Lord delights, he delights in giving good gifts to his children. But the greatest gift and God's greatest delight is a heart that is bent toward him in love and obedience. And then the last one is that... Um, Hold on, I'm checking my notes here. Uh, you know, the last one's a little blurrier because really, what I'm trying to what I'm going to do by the end here is try to tie together the idea of like how my experiences as an employee, uh, a husband, a father, a, a former pastor have really highlighted aspects of God's heart to me um, as I encounter Him in the Scriptures now. So that's sort of the outline. Um, so if you guys get lost, just I don't know, ask the person next to you and ask which one we're talking about. So I guess first starters, like the power of community and confession. Um, uh, background info is I grew up in a Catholic home. I'm still a recovering Catholic. Uh, it's a lot funnier, usually. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things where it wasn't a very active part of our lives. It just uh, it was just there. Like church was the sort of thing I begrudgingly went to. My parents signed me up for classes here and there, but it was never a big part of our lives um, I did somehow, I figured through spiritual osmosis, inherit Catholic guilt pretty hard. Like, I mean, I just, I've always been a pretty even-keeled kid because I just felt so bad about everything I did wrong. So I'm always like, you know, trying to walk the straight and narrow path until, you know, certain points later on in life. Um, fast forward a little bit, and probably one of the more momentous things, as I'm sure some of you guys can understand, is my folks got divorced. My little world, as I understood it, blew up, and sort of the constraints that were there were gone. Catholic Church was out of the picture. My dad sort of returned, but I wasn't spending as much time with him anymore. Um, kind of started going about my own thing. I, I don't know if you guys noticed, there's a handful of high schoolers here earlier. I, I was not good at high school, and I'm still not. Uh, like I get around high schoolers and I'm immediately like, yep, still awkward, still unable to talk with, with this type of human. You know? <laughs> so, so high school wasn't exactly like the, the place where things were cool is a place where I definitely tried to be cool, but you, you name a phase and I went through it like punk rock, metal, uh, hippie. Uh, and then, you know, eventually what it was is, you know, it settled on hippie because I got to do drugs with my friends, I guess. Um, so that sort of is where things were, like from high school going into college. Uh, the funny thing about me and drugs is that I hate them. So <laughs> I just never enjoyed it. I would smoke pot or whatever and just go into a complete like existential crisis. Like, 
what is life all about? And maybe some people enjoy this, and that's why they do it. It was awful for me. I mean, just terrible. And so, I, like, it, you know, even being the even-keeled kid, like, I, you know, I just stopped doing it because, one, I felt terrible every time I did it. And, two, it's just like, it's bad. Drugs are bad, kids. You know? <laughs> So, so yeah, that, going into high school, that's basically where I was at. Now, or going into college, rather. Now, college is where things really turned on spiritually in a lot of different ways. Um, a big thing that happened was uh, my sister, who was an adamant atheist, and I was like a, a half atheist. She came to faith in Jesus, and her life turned around dramatically. I mean, just a complete 180. And the impression that that left on me and my family was that she probably joined a cult. But once we realized that that's not what happened, it was like, oh, there's like, there's something real here. There's something like powerful going on in her life. And so I started to take spiritual things a little more seriously. Like I'd had friends in high school, ironically enough, like my best friend in high school, we actually talked earlier today because, you know, uh, I won't go into it, but, you know, he was a, he's a professing Christian going into college. I was a more or less professing atheist. We somehow just completely switched places by the end. Um, but, you know, he was witnessing to me. He was bringing forth challenges and things like that that I've never really heard before. Having, I, For those of you who may have grown up Catholic as I did, one of the things you'll know about Catholicism is you don't read your Bible much, like, at all. <laughs> um, or at least we didn't. Um, and so I, I'm checking out the faith. I'm looking into different things. My sister gives me a Bible. I read the Gospel of John. I meet a guy on CSU's campus who's like, hey, do you want to do a Bible study? And I was like, well, yeah, sure. We'll go ahead and figure out what's going on here. Um, I've read the Gospel of John, so I pretty much have it figured out already. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll join your little club. Turns out it wasn't a club. It was a one-on-one -on -one situation, which I'm not very good at. Um, so we started meeting together, and uh, I, I'm really good at knowing what the right words to say are. And so we'd be in these conversations, and he'd ask me things, and I'd give the answer that I knew he wanted to hear, because I just, like, I, I hate disappointing people. I hate, you know, I, I, I got fear of man issues. And so, you know, there are times where he's, like, he's just like, dude, you, you should just, like, do you want to pray the prayer? Do you want to become a Christian? I was like, I don't know about that. He's like, what if I pray for you? I was like, sounds like a plan. <laughs> So he prayed that I received Jesus, and maybe I did at that point, maybe not. I'm not too sure. And, you know, I, I went and got baptized in some Pentecostal guy's hot tub, which was interesting. Uh, and, and, you know, to be honest, like the church experience itself was a little bit weird. It is the sort of thing where people were, you know, that you'd show up to one of their worship services, not on Sundays. They, they kept it buttoned down then. But you'd show up on a Saturday night worship thing and like people are rolling on the floor and screaming for no apparent reason and uh, uh, very spiritual stuff. But as a former Catholic, I'm like, well, uh, you know, there's a lot of things in the Bible that I'm not sure about. So this is probably in there somewhere. <laughs> so so I just rolled with it for a while and I, I would have stayed rolling with it. Uh, but I ended up leaving that church, not because of any sort of pure doctrinal reasons or anything like that. It was, uh, it was because I had a girlfriend who, um, there, are, there are young ears here, so, I mean, the, the older men here can figure it out. I, I left that church because they, I got close with this girl in ways that I probably shouldn't have because she was not a believer. And, uh, and 
I was afraid of that church finding out. Actually, they did find out at one point. I went and broke up with the girl. The next day, begged her to take me back. And then in the next meeting I had with this guy, I was like, I think the Lord is moving me on to another church. <laughs> really, really. I mean, it's a, it's a trump card, let's be honest. Um, it's a, but that's not what was happening. Like, I was with this girl, and really that, that was sort of like the, the hinge point for a long time for me. Is like, am I going to live for myself? Am I going to live for my lusts? Am I going to live for this girl? Or am I going to live for Christ? And my entire college career, like on top of the studies and everything, was basically like, let, let's, let's give some context here. So this girl was like the, the girl I, I just brutalized myself over early on when I first met her. I just like got obsessed really quick, would do the sort of thing where I'd like leave my dorm room to go fill up my water bottle in the hopes of like just crossing paths with her. I'd be, you know, studying in the area like right outside of where her hall was. Like all the sort of things that in the Hollywood movie script seem really cute in real life will get you jailed. Um, <laughs> So, so that's, that's where things were. And then she finally agreed to date me and it was like, yes, you know, I'm pumped about this thing. I got the thing that I want, but like a dog chasing a car and once it gets its teeth on the tires, like what's it going to do with it? And that's sort of where I was. I was a very immature person. I mentioned earlier, my folks were divorced. Uh, that was brutal. It just, it was awful. Like there was a lot of fighting. Most of my recollection of my, of my younger years are just memories of falling asleep with mom and dad shouting at each other. And so there was a lot of me who was like, I, I know what I'm not going to do when I'm in a serious relationship when I'm older. And so the thing with this girl, as I mentioned earlier, I was obsessed with her. Uh, it was, and she somehow got obsessed with me. But it was a sort of, it was like, I mean, it was, and Joey, Joey works in psychology, so I'm sure he could diagnose it better. But it's one of those things where like everything was dialed up to 11. So when it was good, it was really, really, really good. And then when it was bad, it was awful. I mean, just the worst. And so I would say things, I would do things. I cracked a knuckle hitting a, a coffee table after an argument we had over the phone. I mean, just became suicidal over this whole thing. And it's because on top of like everything else with this girl, like my faith, which was growing still, was a bigger and bigger problem for that relationship. And so she felt threatened by it. I felt threatened by it. Um, and so things kind of kept just spiraling downward. And But I'd show up to church on Sunday, put on the church face, show up to the college ministry from time to time, put on the college ministry face, whatever that is. Um, but essentially just play the part because I knew what people wanted to hear from me. Um, I was leading Bible studies and then going to my girlfriend's house the same night. It's like, you know, living in, in that sort of tension and hiding it and hiding it and hiding it and hiding it. Um, and that was until, like, you know, really it was, uh, it was one guy in particular, this guy Dave Young at Mountain View, who just started stepping into my life more and more, very patiently started asking me questions, pressing in further and further until, you know, more and more truth got shared with him. And eventually what happened is, like, I realized with this girl, I need to get out of this thing. Like, it was, it was just so clear. Like, just the nights of prayer where I'm like, God, I know I need to get rid of this. I, I know this isn't good. I know, like, I can't have this and, and like, live <laughs> by faith in you. Like, it, it really was like, who are you going to worship? Are you going to worship your own dreams and desires? Or are you going to worship the living God who has better dreams and desires for you? And so, um, you know, eventually broke up with this girl, shared everything with, with uh, the college ministry people that I was hanging out with at that time, and for the first time in my life, felt freedom. 
And so um, the thing, one of the things that happened is in, in the aftermath of that relationship, there was like a three-day period where I hardly got up from the couch except to go to the bathroom maybe. I mean, just depressed, kind of feeling like I blew it with this girl. I blew it with God. I blew it with with all my friends who, you know, I, I don't even have any friends anymore because I who am I going to talk to anymore about this? Um, and what, what ended up happening is as more of the truth was shared, I experienced more and more grace and forgiveness from people. And really what that was was a picture to me. Like it, what kind of dawned on me over time was like, oh, this is like if this is what God's people are like, how much more is God like this? And so what I found was, like I mentioned, freedom for the first time. And I think a principle I want to leave with you guys, um, you know, as, as we've had some conversations in these man school settings the last couple times about just the, the need to share with each other real struggles and real sins in one another's lives, there's a reality that, like, unconfessed sin will master you if it hasn't already. Unconfessed sin will master you, but confessed sin is sin that you will master, and I believe that 100% with my heart. Like, it just, it's clear in Scripture. I, you know, the verses I have here, Psalm 32, verses 2 and 3, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And then 1 John 1, 5 through 10 talks about, I'll, I'll summarize it here. It talks about living in the light as God is in the light. So, you know, what does that mean? Does that mean we need to be perfect and, and like clean and pure and all these different things? Well, the, the context goes on to say, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, this is insane, if we confess our sins, all you have to do is admit your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so the encouragement I have for you guys is that this is a principle that I think has honestly spared me so much in my Christian walk since those days is just to live a life that's open to your brothers. Um, the ability to share sin early before it has time to fester and grow and become more embarrassing and more hard to admit and more hard to confess, there's so much value in that. And I think Christ is honored when we own the fact that he died for us that his blood was spilled to cleanse us of our sins and that we can walk in the newness of life because of what he's done. So that's principle number one. And that is something, you know, to be honest, like now, like there, I still have people I confess to. Um, it's not as regular as it used to be, but I would encourage you guys, like find those people in your life that you can talk to. And it doesn't matter how big or small the issue is. Like it, it is massively important for the walk of faith to be able to own your sin to have your brothers share like their sin with you and you share your sin with them so that you can experience freedom. Like this is not so that you can feel miserable and terrible and just like show up every week talking to the guys about how you blew it again and uh, I blew it too, let's just bow our heads and feel bad about it. It's like, no, like share the gospel with each other. 
share the gospel with each other, share the gospel with each other until it sets in and destroys that sin. Because it will do that. Which sort of leads me to um, the second thing, which, uh, you know, there was sort of a post-conversion crisis of faith that, as I mentioned earlier, a gospel-centered understanding of the whole Bible um, was really the, the key to breaking free from that. So uh, I started my Christian life. Um, maybe a year or so went by before I had my first Christian girlfriend, but I was still very immature. And I think really what was going on in my life at that point was, um, like, I had this undercurrent of doubt. As, as Joey sort of mentioned, I've, I've always been, like, a, the inquisitive scientific type. And so you're told by the culture that that's supposed to be at odds with Christianity, and so you're just sort of like, yeah, I guess it is. It's not, just to be clear. It, it absolutely is not. It, it takes a naive fool to think that. But um, but I believe that. But really, like, you know, I, as much as I wanted to paint it as, like, a huge intellectual problem for me or something like that, what it really was for me was that I was a millennial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm serious. Like, I mean, you look at, you look at, I mean, like, I, don't, I have no idea. I'm, I don't know who, where the lines are drawn. I, I'm an elder millennial, I suppose. Um, but really, like, I look at my life at that time, and it was just filled with the same sort of things that you read about uh, from men in particular in this demographic who are unable to commit to things, are unable to take responsibility for themselves, let alone for others. They're unable to get the job done. They're not willing to give up the Xbox in order to, you know, get a job, love a woman, marry her, and have kids. Or, you know, if, if you're called to singleness, to do it with love and responsibility and with a desire to serve the Lord. But, like, where I was, I mean, the, the doubt was just symptomatic of other things. Like, I was with this Christian girl that I, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like, this, is, this doesn't seem right. Um, so the doubts festered. My heart kind of just really shrank in a lot of ways at this time. And like it's sort of a, you know, that there's that high point post-conversion that I think God's just like delighted to give us when we first start following him. Like just he lets us like ride high on the waves for a little while. And he's like, OK, time to teach you how to really walk by faith. You know what I mean? So, um, so there's, there were some dark nights of the soul, and really the, the key to unlocking that was one, well, uh, in a lot of ways it was this church. Um, so let me, let me explain that. I'd been invited to come to this church. I was at Mountain View, our sister church, uh, before this. Was invited by Gary McQuinn, one of the first pastors here after Aaron, um, just because they needed people and I was a person. So I, I had that going for me. Um, so he asked me, I was considering it, and I just remember one night was praying, and it just, you know, this doesn't happen very often, but it just felt clear as day that the Lord was like, you're going to the crossing. Um, it, interestingly, it was like, you're going to the crossing, and, and d like the sense of like, don't break up with this girl yet was there, but that happened shortly after, so you can't trust all your feelings, just throwing that out there. Um, but anyway, so it came here and really the, the big point of that was, uh, Gary McQuinn just introduced a whole world of, uh, basically reintroduced me to this book, essentially. I mean, we'd get together and I would talk to him about what I was struggling with or different sin, like I said, you know, sin became pretty easy to confess at this point because I just had experienced the freedom. Um, and no matter what I brought to Gary, he would just always bring it back to the gospel. Just 
over and over and over again. Just sharing the gospel with me, sharing the way that Jesus died for me, the way that Jesus loves us, the way that the Father oversees everything, and the way that the Spirit now fills us because we've been purchased by the blood. And I was like, Gary, I get it. Like, I get it, man. Like, can we, can we like move on from this? I didn't realize that it was like, because that's actually what the Christian life is all about is just a, you know, a greater and greater love and appreciation for the cross. And so what, what ended up being the thing that got me, um, to see it was seeing the whole Bible as one story that leads to Jesus. And so for you guys, like, I mean, I, I'm, I've shared this so many times, but like, get yourself a book on biblical theology. Like, just find one. There's entry level through like advanced nerd stuff. Just find something that is going to make you understand and love the Bible more. Because it really, like, my doubts about science and faith and all those sort of things, like, they all washed away as soon as I saw what God's big picture was in the, in his word. And so that was like, I mean, just a, a key that unlocked something that, like, there were points where, I mean, uh, to put it in context, I was with, with this other girlfriend, I, I was like, I don't know if I can marry this girl because I don't know if I'm still going to be a Christian six months from now. Like, that's how severe the doubts were at times. Um, so, so to have that resolved, not because someone gave me a fantastic argument, not because someone, uh, you know, just settled all my questions or whatever, but because someone showed me how to read the Bible and showed me that Jesus is the center of the whole thing, like, it just changed my whole world. And so the things, uh, scriptures I have here for that would be John 5.39, where Jesus says, you, you search the scriptures daily, thinking that in them you, you'll find eternal life, but you don't even realize they testify about me. Like, to, to get to the point where that verse actually makes sense, where you see that, is massive. If you don't see that yet, if you don't see Jesus, in, like, written all over this book, like, talk to me, talk to... Chad, talk to Rich. I mean, there's there's many people you can talk to here that will help you see that. And it is it, it is so life-transforming to see the Bible as God's revealed word and to just own it. So, um, yeah, I have Psalm 119, 105 here. Uh, you know, your, your word is a light to my feet and a lamp unto my path. And I probably got that mixed up. Uh, Romans 116, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Like, uh, I used to be ashamed of the Bible, like, because, you know, you're supposed to be if you're an intellectual. Intellectual. Um, the Bible is the least embarrassing thing to me about Christianity at this point. No offense to any of you. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that was, that was point two, a gospel-centered understanding of, of the Bible. Okay, uh, the third thing I wanted to bring up is, uh, this is really leading up to my marriage, um, and this is, a, this is about prayer. Um, so I made a really, uh, I don't know if you'd call it a tactile error, or a, a tactical, thank you. Yeah, not, not this. <laughs> uh, so, so I became interested in a girl who uh, happened to be the best friend of my ex-girlfriend, um, she, she's my wife now, so it worked out. <laughs> so, but, uh, but that led to some complications. So I'm, I, at this point, I'm growing in my faith like crazy. Like the Bible's come alive in a million different ways. And, uh, I meet Jessica, then Metcalf, and I'm bowled over. Like I see this woman who, 
loves people really well, who wants to serve, who just, I mean, her heart is so given to Christ and is so, she's such a kingdom-minded person. I just was, I was stuck. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do about this. This is, this is obvious. Like, I wrote it down on paper. I'm like, yep, looks bad on paper too. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like it it just, I was like, how am I going to deal with this? So, um, I spent about a year praying. (laughs) That's, that's how I did it. Uh, spent a year fasting, praying, seeking the Lord, and basically saying, like, Lord, like, obviously you're in control here. Um, I'm open-handed. Like, you can take this away by making it impossible for me to have her, like, put another man in her life. You can just take away the desire from my heart. Um, you can, you can just change, change it so I'm living somewhere else or whatever. Or, Lord, you can just give me the desire of my heart. And whatever you want to give me is what I want to receive. And I bring it up this way because I think as, uh, you know, during sort of my time in pastoral ministry, I think the thing I saw blow up more people's faith than anything else was, you know, people who just felt like God wasn't giving them what, what they deserved or what they wanted. And it just teed them off that God was God and they were not. And I've seen a lot of people walk away from the faith because of this particular thing, because God won't give me what I want, because we're the most self-obsessed generation well, actually, humans are humans, right? So we're probably the same as any other generation. We just have, like, the ability to express it more. And so um, so really what it was is a, a year spent in prayer and uh, talking with people and trying to figure out what to do with this whole mess while hanging out with this girl a lot more than I probably should have. Um, so anyway... W- what I ended up doing at the very end of it was like, okay, here's here's the final way. And maybe this is wise, maybe it's not. But I, I was like, I'll talk with all of our mutual friends, let everyone in on the on the on the game here, let them know what I feel about Jess, and uh, and if they all give the green light, I'm going to talk to her best friend, who you will recall was my ex girlfriend. So green light, green light, green light. I was like, all right, here we go. So I talked to this girl, and um, you know, she's moved on because let's face it, it's not hard. <laughs> but yeah, she. I mean, she'd moved on. It was still, it was rough. But she was like, I mean, she's like, I, I don't want to stand in the way if if the Lord is doing something here, which speaks to her character incredibly. She actually ended up being uh, maid of honor in our wedding. So um, yeah. So if you don't like, if you want to experience grace, join a church because it actually does happen. Um, so. All that to say, like, I, I would just encourage you guys in your own prayer lives, in your own approach to God. You know, we, we have these promises. I have them here. We have these pictures of God um, in the Bible, like Luke eleven nine through 13. Say, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, your heavenly father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And I think Matthew's version says, give to those who ask. Right, it's just, this is God's heart towards us. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Now you can you can butcher that verse and maim it and mess it up and you know turn it into a prosperity gospel sort of thing, or you can experience its profound realities. That if you delight yourself in the Lord, if your heart is His, 
his heart becomes yours. And he will give you the desires of your heart. And then Isaiah 66, 1 through 2. Um, the Lord says, all these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That seem, might seem a little bit out of left field, but the idea here is like someone who is just like, but if you can stand before God, which, which I think is actually the posture we're supposed to take when we go to prayer, you see it in Moses' intercession for the people of Israel. You see it in Abraham's intercession for his, his nephew Lot. They stand before the Lord, they draw near, and they make known what's on their hearts. And they appeal to the heart of God in the process. And I would just encourage you guys in your own prayer lives to pursue it similarly. And now uh, this part is going to be a little more convoluted. But um, and actually, guys, I'm ahead of schedule. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, so since marriage, like cause this is all. I, well, let me let me actually step back a little bit because um, I have more time. Uh, <laughs> So uh, one of the things I prioritize in my relationship with Jess, uh, and, and in a lot of relationships, uh, well, the, the relationship before that, so the one relationship before that was purity. Um, now, this is not to, to get on the purity train and for just no reason other than to make everyone else feel bad or, to, or anything like that. Um, I, as I mentioned, like I, I told you guys my story in the sound of small ears about what it was like for me in college. Like, I blew up my life because of a girl and because of uh, my desire to not wear as many clothes. I mean, like, it, I blew up my life because of that. And so uh, to see that that was in me and to see the sort of control that lust had in my life, I was like, I'm just not going to give it a foothold. So Jess and I refrained from kissing for 10 months. Um, you know, our marriage night was the first night where I had a sexual encounter where I didn't feel guilty. It was incredible. Uh, I would commend it to you. Get married, make love to your wife, don't feel bad about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> repeat often. Um, so, so all that to say, like, it, it, was, it was a good thing. I, I love my wife. Marriage is a good gift from God. He who finds a wife has found a good thing and receives favor from the Lord. Like, it's, it's a good, good thing. Um, and if the Lord calls you to singleness and celibacy, there are, man, there is so much goodness for you in, in God's joy. Um, and that's not what this is about. It was something I'd considered at one point, and then I uh, realized I really like the way women look, I guess. <laughs> so, so I was like, yep, not for me. <laughs> so anyway, um, last lesson here is, uh, man, how do I wrap this up? So what I want to talk about is the ways the calling, the vo vocation, like that's what vocation means, is it's our calling, the calling of being a, a husband, a father, um, a pastor, or even just a church member now, uh, all those things, like uh, to be an employee, like it's just revealed to me aspects of the heart of God as I've read them through the lens of the scriptures. So, you know, for me, one of the most profound things that's ever happened to me is to embrace the reality of my adoption in Christ. To, to recognize that when God looks at me, he doesn't see the ways I've screwed up. He doesn't see the ways I've, I've destroyed my life in different ways. He doesn't see the, 
the way I've been harsh with my wife or my kid or, you know, when, when my lust was absolutely uncontrolled, he doesn't look at those things and hold those against me. When he looks at me, because I'm in Christ, what he sees is the righteousness of Christ. Like, it's an unbelievable idea to me. Like, it's, it, it's so hard for me to wrap my mind around that. And the handful of times when I'm able to, I'm just like, like, I'm just overwhelmed with the sense of God's love and grace and mercy and you experience the peace that surpasses understanding when you just own the fact, like, this is, this is what justification is. This is what justification by faith means. Like, we believe in Jesus, and God looks at us, not, not as if we hadn't done anything wrong, but as if we had done everything right. Like, that's an insane idea. And sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. And, you know, to... To see the way, now to speak uh, somewhat as, as a father, like I don't, I don't know how much we're allowed to project our experience of being a father onto God's heart, but I do think that, that fatherhood, uh, God's fatherhood is the reality and our experience of it is the analogy. If you catch my drift, I think oftentimes we think about it as like, oh, like God, God calls us, calls himself father so that like we can kind of make the connection from here to there, but actually like it, it works the other way around. Does that, are you guys following me? That makes sense. Like we we're given the gift of being fathers for those of us who are so that we can experience something of the reality of God. I think we're given the gifts of the gift of being a husband. And especially if you learn what it means to be a husband, the way that Christ is a husband, where you lay your life down, where you serve your wife, where you die to yourself day after day, so that she can be built up and nourished and cared for and washed in the water of the word. Like, when you own those sort of things, you see the heart of Christ for you all the more clearly, and then it motivates you all the more to be the sort of husband God has called you to be. When you own your your vocation and you realize you're not there for your self-advancement, you're not there so that you can take credit for the project that went well, you're there actually to serve other people. You're there so that when things go wrong, you can be the one who takes responsibility. Just the way Christ took responsibility for us when everything went wrong in our lives. Like, you're there to give credit when, when, when the project goes well, because we have all the credit of Christ on our account. Like, like, we're there to represent Christ in so many ways. And, you know, to even go back to the garden, like, we see God as a worker from the get-go. Like, for you guys in your employment, like, own that fact. Own, own the fact that when you go to work, at some level, you are bearing the image of God in the work that you do. So do it with excellence and receive grace and mercy and forgiveness for the times that you don't. And then, you know, lastly, uh, as a pastor, like, I think for me, like, um, you know, the last year of being a pastor here was one of the hardest. It's just, it's just a lot of hard cases and I just didn't know how to, how to deal with it. Um, I didn't know how to get my heart out of, um, just the hardship of other people's lives. And I think at some level that's by design. I think that's what God's heart is like towards us. Like, I mean, he's so in on our own misery and suffering that he came and experienced the greatest misery and suffering of all. Um, I don't know how to necessarily put all the pieces together. This is still something I'm processing at this point. Um, but I, I do feel like uh, God's shepherding care for me was expressed in giving me the freedom to sort of step away from the role for a little while. And, it was, and I'll be honest, like it was, it was nice in, in light of current events in our network. Like it's kind of, I felt like it's kind of nice to have a pastor that steps down without 
you know, blowing it up in some sort of crazy way, you know, like to show people it's okay that God moves us in and out of different stations of life, that we can still serve him in different capacities. And that doesn't change the way he looks at us. It doesn't change whether or not he thinks we're, you know, great because we're a pastor and in ministry or whatever, or we're not great because we're not doing as many things as we should. It's not about that. It's never been about that. It's not about you. It's not about what you can do for God ever. It's about receiving his grace and mercy and through motivation of the gospel and the grace and mercy of God, living your lives in just total love and loyalty to him. Like it's the most freeing thing ever. Like to make yourself God's slave by just embracing the fact that he has called you to this place at this time in your job with your various callings and to live out what it means to be a Christian in that is where freedom is found. Um, and so I had a lot of other things that I didn't really touch on in here, um, but I think that's that's what I have. The word I guess I want to leave you guys here with here in light of speaking to all of you right now is the words of Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16, which says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so my encouragement to you guys is speak the truth and love to each other. Learn this book inside and out. Love it. Own it. Share it with each other. Share the gospel with each other. Share the gospel with your coworkers. Let's change the world for Christ because he's given us a, a duty like to see the nations obey him. So I think we got we got our task cut out for us. I can't even get my four-year-old to obey me most days. So, um, yeah, so thanks, guys. Um, yeah, hopefully that was encouraging and helpful in some way or another.